Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 935. Let's just get right into the corkboard. You can send your corkboard submissions to corkboard at id10t.com. Just like Allison, who wrote... My brother Calvin has been working on making a thing since he was in high school. He loves RPGs. Me too. But none of them had exactly what he wanted, so he decided the best way to get it was just to make it himself. Yes, that's how things get made. Uh, Think steampunk magical world set in the 18th century. This sounds amazing. So he's been developing and playtesting this game for 11 years. He finally has a Kickstarter. The game is called Age of Ether, and you can find more about it by going to kickstarter.com and searching for Age of Ether uh, or Calvin Studzinski. This game is already fully funded, so he's just looking to get some stretch goals, which include nicer artwork, a little more flavor to the text, possibly even a hardcover book. This game really looks fantastic. I could not be more proud of my brother. Well done, Allison, and also uh, well done to you too, Calvin. And Brian, another corkboard enthusiast, writes, I wanted to ask the ID10T community to check out my son's podcast. Quinn and Trey are brothers, and their roommate Alex have been doing a podcast called Gazelle Hospital for almost a year now. I already love the title. A lot of what they talk about is video games, but in reality, they just talk about whatever is on their minds. That being said, more often than not, video games are on their minds. Uh, They review the latest games and talk about gaming tips, tricks, and glitches. They have an insider view of what's coming up, uh, but they never forget the classics and talk about all of it. Shenanigans, rants, wild tangents ensue. Gazelle Hospital is at gazellehospital.com or anywhere you can subscribe to podcasts. (laughs) That name makes me so happy. Like, irrationally happy. Well done. Well done, Quinn and Trey and Alex. Um, And thanks to Brian for sending that in. Again, corkboard at ID10T.com. Also, I want to say that if you go to ID10T.com right now, we have the official Talking Dead mugs, the ones that we have on the table for Talking Dead, the ones that we give to the guests when they come on, uh, have now been made available for purchase at ID10T.com. And I updated them for 2018. So the front is basically what it said before AMC Talking Dead. But the back always felt empty to me. Just a bare butt on the back of a mug. So we put a 1855 Dead Live, like, dripped in blood on the back. And so you can see them every week on Talking Dead. That's the ones we use on the show. You can now buy the same ones by going to ID10T.com. So grab those and let Talking Dead put some coffee in your mouth. Uh, All right. This episode is my buddy Eli Roth, who is an incredibly prolific writer and director who is... You know, it's amazing. Eli has accomplished so much up to this point, and he's another workhorse guy. Like, he's a guy that just, when he wants something done, he just fucking makes it. He just does it. And he is 
really still uh, creating cool stuff. And he talks a lot about the podcast about new things that he's working on. And he really, as much as he's done, I feel like now his career is really just beginning in in an interesting new way. So uh, he came on to talk about Death Wish with Bruce Willis. It is a a remake of the Charles Bronson classic from the 70s, which disturbed the hell out of me when I was a kid. And somehow (laughs) I circumvented my parents to watch. Uh, Death Wish is in theaters Friday, March 2nd. So, uh, and Eli, uh, you know, Eli could really just be... Uh, one of the sister wives on the podcast. <laughs> there are some people who come on. You're like, yeah, you could just come every week, and it would be great. So I was really glad that he really glad that he came on. And I did his Shark After Dark uh, week uh, show last year. That was that was really fun on uh, right after Shark Week on Discovery last year. So. Uh, that's Eli, episode 935. This episode brought to you by Beachbody On Demand, which is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of very effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Um, I am putting this on the podcast and accepted them as a sponsor because it is something that I use and have been using long before they got involved with this show. Uh, I've had an account for the past couple years. I use it when I'm on the road. There are like quick 10-minute workouts you can do. Uh, Even if you just do one little workout a day, you check that box and you're done. There's also like a range of the P90 workouts on there. There's yoga on there. There's over 600 different workouts. You can sort by workout type. You can sort by a trainer. Um, and they even have nutritional help too. Beachbody On Demand uh, knows that working out is just part of the equation. They provide comprehensive nutrition plans to help you meet your goals, access to information on meal prep, variety of recipes, simple but proven eating plans. It is very worth it if you just need to get something going and maybe you can't afford a trainer. This is a great way to go. Uh, It's cheaper than a gym membership. There's a lot of stuff you can do where you don't need a lot of equipment. Um, So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So right now, listeners can get a free trial membership when you text ID10T to 303030, you're going to get full access to the entire platform for free, all the workouts and nutrition information. Um, I use it on Apple TV. Uh, There's an app on there. There's apps on your phone. You can go to a web portal. So yeah, it is really, really great. And I really, really, really do recommend it. Uh, Get some fitness in your life. You only got one body, folks. Uh, Also, this episode brought to you by LinkedIn. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Do not settle for posting and hoping the right person will just fall into your lap and apply. Uh, You post a job boards. You hope you're going to find the right person to your job, but you actually check the job boards. For most people, it's pretty occasional, but LinkedIn... 70% of the United States workforce is on there. And you already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. Ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. So if you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you are missing out, good friend. Go to linkedin.com slash ID10T to get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash ID10T for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the ID10T podcast number 935 with Mr. Eli Roth. Katie Roth the Eli. Initiating ID10T protocol.
doing? I'm doing good, man. Good. Good, good, good. Thank Overall you good. This. And you? Good. How goes the, the new empire? The new no, country? I don't know. I'm just... I just want to make stuff. I know. Let's see how it goes. How's it going? <laughs> it's good so far. It's fun, but it's... Uh, Joan and I were just having a similar conversation because he's deep in writing MST 3K right now. Right. Okay. And yeah, so it's, it's just MST. all of the minutia of like time codes and adding jokes to time codes. And for me, it's sort of the same thing where it's like, oh, it's all the, you know, when, when, you, when you got dreams to make stuff, you never think about, oh, there are going to be several days where I have to answer a bunch of emails about scheduling and how to get some band to agree to do a festival and route and try to help them route their, I mean, it's, yeah. it's all the, it's all just the nitty gritty that you always think about the, the macro, the macro, the and micro. boy, if this gets, if this happens, this will be amazing, but it's all the, oh, wow, I guess that's, this is why everyone doesn't do this. It's hard yes. work. That's, well, that's one thing you, there's the never, I heard Emily Blunt on Howard Stern talking about that. I was like, you always, she always thought, oh, Gulliver's Travels will get me this. This will get me. And nothing ever gets you what you think you're going no, to never. get. <laughs> but if you're so focused on what you think it should get, you miss what it actually is presenting you. And you generally get what you're sort of supposed to get. Yeah. Well, if you're thinking about like, the, the thing, it might get that. you. You might like. Um, you might miss. You might mess up. Well, that's what David Lynch taught me. He's like, he's like, if you focus so much on what's in your head, you're going to miss what's right in front of you. And, oh and wow, that's shoot. a great. Yeah. I was, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll we can talk all about it. I mean, on the thing, like it was. It was. Lynch well, we're was, rolling already. Tell. Oh, it. all right. Well, Lynch. Lynch was amazing. I, me- I remember talking to him on, you know, before I made Cabin Fever when I was working with him. We were shooting all this stuff for DavidLynch.com, and we were doing his show, Rabbits, Real Rabbits. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him, "What's the, you know, sort of like the advice on directing?" And he would say, "Keep your eye on the donut, not the hole." And I was like, "What does that mean?" He's like, "The donut." These he goes, "The only thing that matters is the information recorded on those twenty-four squares per second." Back when we used this stuff called film, and he goes, "All the that's the donut." All the bullshit, that's the hole. And it goes, if you're not careful, you will get sucked right into it. <laughs> and every day he's like, eye on the donut. And the other thing he taught me was, you know, the happy accident. That if you're so focused on what's in your head, as you should be, you should have a very clear vision of what's in your head and what you want. But if you're too focused on it, you're missing, like, the beauty that's right in front of you. Like, there could be something really, really fantastic right under your nose and that's actually where your scene is. And you, you have to be willing to just be this open book where it's not like you're indecisive, but if an opportunity presents itself, and that's like an example uh, in Death Wish. There's a scene where Bruce, he's a surgeon, and he's had this trauma happen to him, so he can't go back to being a surgeon until he visits the psychiatrist. So the psychiatrist was a woman who played Harrison Ford's wife in Air Force One, who's a terrific Canadian actress, and... She's going like, you know, he's never been to a doctor. He's it's a psychiatrist. It's kind of opening up. And I thought, we need a follow-up scene. Like, there's got to be a scene where, you know, we've seen the sad version of him in the psychiatrist's office. But, like, we need, we should have a scene. Where, like, let's just shoot another scene where we'll just give an outfit change. And it's like, after he's been killing people, she's like, whoa, you look great. Like, yeah, I feel better. And it's like, well, psh, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Like, and that scene, it's one of those things. The scene was right there. It was right under our noses. It was not in the script. But I was like, the context of a psychiatrist telling their patient, go out and kill. It's like, it's that really good for you. You look much better. Like, right. keep killing bad guys. Yeah. When, she, when she doesn't even know she's giving that advice, it's so absurd that that 
gets the biggest reaction out of anything in the trailer, out of anything in the screening. This guy just going, well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Like, Shit. it's just one of those things that you can only, if you're so focused, okay, this is the scene we have to shoot. These are the lines. We got it moving on. You're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got like 45 minutes here. That's like, I can point the camera at Bruce and I can point the camera at her. We can do another little thing. What do we, what should we do? And I wrote it that morning and we shot it. That's yeah, rad. that's, well, because... Anything you undertake become, is essentially, it becomes an organism. It's like becomes a living, breathing organism. And if you are flexible and look at, oh, you know, someone said that the pouring of the water sounded amazing on these microphones. They were like, <laughs> oh, what really? microphones are you using? That's a, what are we using, Kate? We're using Sure SMS 58s. It's yeah. the water that sounds good. <laughs> but it, it, that's technically true. But, um, but b- being open and flexible and not being so rigid, because when you're trying so hard to control a result that it, it can be too inside your own head and other people, you're not letting other people in. I think that's why stand-up is so great, because you know right away if the audience in your head was right or not. And if it's not, yeah. you adjust. Just move on. Yeah, yeah. and if it is, then, then, you, then great, great Same for you. Same with like a scene, I'm sure, like, you know, that's, uh, you know, from doing sketch where you have the set, you have like the people and you have everything you're going to do, but... Once you start doing it in the room, it's not the same. It's not as funny as it was on the page. So you right. Have to, you're like, well, what can we do that's funny? Well, yeah, well, you sit there and uh, Quentin always says, he's like, my, the last draft, the first cut of my movie is the last draft of my screenplay. And he's right, because you're constantly rewriting the movie, even in the editing room. And even on set, you know, you can rehearse it, you can do it, and sometimes it's just not working or someone's... You can feel when it's off. It's like, why would I say this twice? It feels like I'm making the same point or adjusting. Or and and I was like, we kind. I watched Death Wish too, actually, <laughs> where they say to Bron, you know, Bronson sees a guy with a cross. He goes, he's first of all the same inflection for five movies. You he's believe like, in Jesus? You believe in Jesus? <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, sir. <laughs> You're going to meet him. <laughs> and of course, that's Emil from RoboCop is the guy who he's shooting. The oh, actor that's guys. crazy. Yeah. And, and then there's another. But then it's not even clever. The guy goes, who are you? Death. You <laughs> don't even try it. <laughs> Death Wish 3 is where it really goes off. I don't know if you've seen Death Wish 3 recently. Not in like 20. My dad had the whole Death Wish series on VHS, so I've seen them yeah. all. But that's when it started being canon. Right, canon, canon films, it, which I was just telling li- Chris about. It literally yeah. becomes a canon movie. It's yeah. in every way, shape, and form. It's the ultimate Death Wish three. It, it's because basically by Death Wish two, his daughter is like the daughter's dead, the wife's dead. Pretty much anyone who's friends with Paul Kersey is going to get killed. Like right. if you're friends with Charles Bronson, something terrible will happen to you. <laughs> so in the opening scene, it's just like Charles Bronson on a bus, and you're like, "Where is he going?" And then there's like an old man in an apartment, and he's like, "It's like." The phone rings, and it's like Charles Bronson gets up. He's like, I'll be there. At, he's like, I'm at the bus station at Port Authority. I'll be at your house. At, and the guy's like, yes, just one second. Someone's at my door. <laughs> and of course, he opens the door, and a gang of pumps. The phone's on the table, and Bronson listens. And it's like 40 like punks, like 1985 canon movie punks that come in. And they just terrorize. They've taken over this whole like tenement building. They're terrorizing the neighborhood. The last 45 minutes are Charles Bronson with like a World War II machine gun just standing there and people running into him and he's firing. They're falling off buildings and then out of nowhere, completely unannounced, a Nazi biker gang just shows up in town yeah, and he just starts the like, up the stakes. the yeah. 80s. And then he uses a rocket launcher. But there's, but there's a scene where because it's canon – when there was Rayleigh, uh, he's like, the couple that lives on the ground floor is an Orthodox Jewish couple. And he's like, may I come to your Shabbat dinner? <laughs> so there's a scene where Charles like Bronson. No, it yeah. is. It is. It's like Charles Bronson goes to Shabbat dinner. 
and the couple, they're like, Baruch Atadonai. And he looks out the window as they're like lighting the Shabbos candles. And there's like a guy, he leaves his car out in the street on purpose for people to go rob it. So he goes to Shabbat so that he can spy on his car and catch the people. And he's like, excuse me. And he goes, like, kills 10 people and goes back and like finishes the Baruch <laughs> It's the craziest. But I was like, you know, people love Death Wish movies for reasons. So we got to have, the movie's not a comedy, but you got to have those moments where like the car is jacked up. And the guy's like, you're not going to kill me? He's like, no, Jack is, you know, and pulls the cord. Like, um, and there's, like, I don't want to give away the lines, but I was like, we need a couple of those classic Bruce Willis. Well, yeah, of course. And especially, you know, when Death Wish came out, that was very zeitgeisty for the time because, you know, like the, the American streets were like, I think at that point they thought, well, in 20 years... It you know America's just going to be like a wasteland, a, a wasteland yeah. like a crime wasteland, yeah. and then at some point I think I heard this in Freakonomics actually where they it's it reversed like the, the the trend went away from where they thought it was in the nineties where they just thought like America's going to be uninhabitable it's going to be like Road Warrior, but in seventies like the, the the street crime it was a it was a yeah nineteen seventy four is it was it came a dirty out. time yeah. for crime everywhere yeah. and so it's you know this type of movie made sense and Charles Bronson was such a a stoic badass you know that fifty three years old completely reinvents his career that's I mean, this guy, I mean think of, you think about his career he, the guy was in House of Wax once right, upon yeah. a time in the West like the movies that this guy was in. Great Escape. Like, there's so many great Bronson movies, but we all think of him as Death Wish. He was 53. It's like Liam yeah. Neeson in Taken, and he was just suddenly the weirdest-looking movie star in the history of movies. <laughs> yeah. People were like, people watching, they're like, you know, like, you talk to younger people today, they're like, how was this guy, like, a movie star? But guys are like, he's Charles Bronson. He's just a badass. Yeah. Leslie Nielsen, also a guy that way later in his career just... To- becomes a comedy star. Yeah, becomes a comedy Accidentally. star. Accidentally. Yeah. yeah. Dangerfield hits mid fifties. Rodney, yeah. I mean, it's always you know. Danny Aiello is one of those guys yeah. too. When I first started, uh, you know, when I told my parents I wanted to be a performer, my dad was like, "Hey, you know what? Good for you, man. If it takes a while, just remember, Buddy Epson didn't make it until he was fifty-five. And I was like, "That's not comforting because at that point I was like, <laughs> terrible, you know, twenty-two. Like, I don't want to. Yeah. You're like, who's Buddy Epson? <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew because I watched a lot of I. I was a weird kid. I watched a lot of television when I like an, I did too. An extraordinary amount of television. But Death Wish was one of those movies that was very disturbing to me. I, I think I somewhat benefited from my parents' divorce where my dad lived like a single guy. Yeah. So he had a bunch of VHS tapes and you know, if my parents had been together they probably would have jointly said, you know, maybe maybe, uh, maybe yeah. an eleven-year-old <laughs> should not be watching Death Wish because it's pretty brutal. Like it's it's a very the first one is a very brutal film. It's very so, hard to way, watch. How about like there's a the first Death Wish? There's a very brutal rape with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Right. Goldblum yeah. But he's using '70s slang. Come on, mother. Where's the bread, mother? Let's <laughs> right. go. And I'm like, is he saying mother like 70s mother? Or is he actually talking to the mother? To the mother, yeah. Because he sort of does both. And then it's a very, it's like a crazy scene. So that was one of the things we did not, we wanted to take out of the sequel. I was like, it can be a home invasion. They can be attacked. But we don't need to be, you know, you don't, it's not going to be rapey. Like the good, good, good. Because yeah, it yeah. just isn't, it it's isn't necessary. It isn't necessary to yeah. convey. It's not about that. No. And, and ultimately, you know, especially if you, I mean, in John Wick, they were like, well, we got to kill the dog. You know, yes. like, like yeah, you yeah. just, but you need, you need some type of, uh, some type of thing that opens the door emotionally for the audience to be like, okay, from here on out, whatever horrible thing he does to these people, Where I am here. on board with. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing is that with, one thing about Bruce is he's really, really a sympathetic figure. People really relate to him. And 
the fun was showing a guy who's never picked up a gun before. So sort of like Bruce firing on the first time, the slide catches on his hand. He's, he doesn't know how to use it. He goes on YouTube. He watches like <laughs> he watches the show we shot called Full Metal Tactics. My friend Sean Vance who's in the military, and he, he goes like, on YouTube and he goes on Netflix and watches watches uh, Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I watch his old movies. Um, but it's it, part of the thing is that this is it's it's the frustration of what do you do when the police are overwhelmed? It's not that the, the police are not incompetent. There's just more crime than they can handle. So we show a guy who's a surgeon who tries to do the right thing, who is super patient and tries to move on and tries to follow up. And there's just nothing. There's absolutely nothing. But one of the cool things that he, because he's a trauma surgeon, he's almost like the backstop or the catcher for all the crime in the city. And we talked to surgeons, and I was like, do guns fall out? They're like, dude, all the time. They're like, people are brought in for gunshot, and they'll be kicking their legs, and a gun falls out. In, and it sometimes goes off. Oh my in the God. operating room, like, that is a very real thing that happens. So, you know, they'll, they'll check them, but they can't always obviously get everywhere. I mean, they don't necessarily check your feet or your legs yeah, yeah. or your clothes. So sometimes guns... Guns fall out in surgery all the time for Shit. these guys. Like, oh yeah, it's super common. So then he gets one that's untraceable, and we really wanted to try and show the entire process of you know arming yourself for home defense, but also trying to get the police. It's a guy trying to seek justice, and what do you do when you can't get it? Uh, you know, I the thing I love about your movies is how much how uncomfortable I feel <laughs> when I watch a lot of That's them great. because they, a lot of like green inferno still disturbs me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It really does. In, in the sense that the ending, the ending is so, uh, I, I, I feel two different emotions about the ending where it's like, on the one hand I go, I think she did the right thing. And then in the other sense, I feel like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, after what happened, but you, it, I don't want to spoil anything, but people should watch Green Inferno if you want to feel a a wealth of mixed emotions because it you you really you really do a really a great job of just sort of presenting this thing to the audience that is like oh my god what would I do in that so what what do you do in that situation and then just kind of leaving the audience with it to deal with it. Thank you. Oh, I like that. I mean, and also we try to do that in Death Wish. Not to keep bringing it back to that, but I'm I'm very conscious of. Not necessarily not taking a position, but really letting the audience decide. You know, I think that people don't like to be told what to think. And I don't like to be told what to think. I don't like to be preached to in a movie. And I think that a lot of movies do that and to the detriment of the story. And I like it when you can be faced with a complex situation and you're really thinking, God, what would I do? And it's nothing is black or white. Everything is in the gray area. And everyone's opinion on what's the right thing to do varies. So... Any good horror movie puts you in the position of what would I do? How would I get out of this? How would I escape? Would you do what's necessary? And where do you draw the line of what's your, what's your own morality? And that varies for everyone. So that's what's fun is putting people in the position of the character where they can go on that journey. And that, that's what happened with Hostel, too. I remember you know, someone at the ending when he runs the girls over and people were screaming for blood and cheering and going crazy when he's killing the bad guy and cutting his fingers off and leaves him, slashes his throat and puts his head in the toilet. Someone came up to me after the theater and they're like, you know, your movie, the first, the first kill, 45 minutes, you could hear a pin drop, but by the end I was cheering for blood and that's what scared me the most was that you got me to a place where I was cheering for blood. <laughs> where at 45 minutes earlier I was so repulsed by it, but I actually... You not only became the character, you also became the killer in a way. 
And I love movies that work on that level. Yeah, there's a real psychological element to your... I mean, they, I guess you could call them thrillers, but they really are psychological horror. Lydia and I were watching um, the Keanu one. Uh, uh, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I told you, you did At Midnight, and you were always great on At Midnight, by the I way. I loved At Midnight. I'm so sad it's gone. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> you were really, really great on it. It's, I realized that was a weird skill I have, is being on At Midnight. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, and that, that's what was sort of fun about having people on who weren't necessarily stand-up comics is just to see like oh my god this person from a totally different discipline just get just thrives in that thrive environment. In this yeah. environment love it yeah so you were always great on the show but I, I think one of the last times you did it I told you like Lydia and I were watching Knock Knock and I had to leave the room halfway through because wow. it is it's one of those psychological thrillers I mean I can handle all sorts of Supernatural or like weird torture porn or like weird. I can handle any type of horror, but the ones that are very grounded in reality where you go, oh, this could actually happen. Mm -hmm. And you're about to watch a guy make a bad decision that he can't take back and ruin his own life. And that those are the ones that are really hard for me to watch because they're the ones that keep me up at night going. God, if he just didn't, if he just didn't let him in, or if he just didn't, you know. Well, it's these series of little decisions. I was reading it was one of the Malcolm Gladwell books where he talks about the disasters and the series of. It's not like one decision that leads to a disaster. It's like tiny little. Might be blink. Things. I think it is blink. That's exactly what it was. Where he, where he talks about all the little series of bad decisions you make. And how people rationalize and justify their own behavior in their head. It's like, well, they're cold. I'll let them in. Well, but you also, it's like your mouth and your brain can be saying no, but your feet keep saying yes and moving towards it. And it's like, well, they're never going to find out. And really, I've always been fascinated by the idea of people like, basically, you can do everything right for your entire life. And then in one night, you can really destroy absolutely everything. And I think that's something that everybody feels. It's like if you go on some that's what gets rant, me. like saying, like, if you went on Lifetime and you said the most, like, horrible things and horrible racist things, you'd be finished forever. It's like, it's, it's a crazy thing of, like, that's not me, but I could actually, it's this weird fear of what if this, like, subconscious id, the self-sabotaging part of you... That's like, I don't want to have to deal with a fear of failure, so I'm just going to torch yeah. the whole damn thing right now, <laughs> well, so I never have to deal with embarrassment. Yes. Yeah. And that, you do it. Like, it's, it's, it's a very human thing to do. Yes, and it's the same. It, I realize that it comes from the same place. In my last comedy special, I did this whole bit about how I'm terrified of heights because I have this weird thing in my head that says, what if I jump? Right. And, I, and, I, and apparently that is a psychological mechanism that is, you know, essentially overprotective but it's to protect you so that you don't jump and i and exactly what you're saying of like you know sure it'd be so if if your brain just misfired and you just went on twitter and you just said a bunch of horrible things in seconds you could undo everything everything no matter how much good stuff you've done it's sort of like the millhouse thing where he's like what about all the times I didn't wear a tutu to school? Yeah, yeah. No one ever talks about those, do they? You know, it's 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 just seeing how easy it would be to destroy everything, destroy people well, who are close to you, and just making sure that you stay on the right path. Yeah, well, they, I think that there is... Everybody has a side of fighting that self-destructive side. of, And we all do it in little ways, and we all try to control it, whether it's drinking or drugs or saying something inappropriate or blowing a meeting it's all ways of dealing with the fear and the uncertainty of life and fear of embarrassment and that's what you you just kind of push through it and get past it and so you're not even focused on you're focused on the joy of creating 
But it is much easier to destroy than create. Yeah. But knock knock, that was the all the whole thing. I also love the idea in knock knock that it's almost like what if those what if those girls were on his what if he manifested them? What if they were never there? Right. Like what if he just was like so bottled up? It's also about the way you lie in relationships to Make he, he's like deferential to his wife, and she's just taken over the house. And he's nice, but you could tell he's really unhappy. But instead of saying he's unhappy or speaking about how this woman constantly dominates him, dominates the conversation, and has takes the kids on Father's Day and leaves him alone, essentially like completely castrating him in a way. She doesn't want to have sex with him. She, you know, like there's nothing. Like this guy is second to the kids. He's second to the house. Second to the family. Instead of saying something like "I'm really unhappy. This is not okay." I need you to reprioritize me. Instead of saying that, he just smiles and smiles and smiles and then goes on this crazy self-destructive So at the end, you should just say like, remember, communication is the key. Yeah. Feel feel feelings. Feelings are okay. Talk to, well, I just, I think I might have mentioned this in another podcast, but I I want to keep talking about it because it's a great book, but I just listened to an audio book that there's a there's a book version too, but it's called Ego is the Enemy. <clears throat> it's by a guy named Ryan Holiday, and Ryan was a young entrepreneur, and he worked for American Apparel. And but it's it's all of these cautionary tales about how you know essentially we're all in we're all in one of three states where we're either in an aspirational state where you're trying to get something going, you're in success, or you're in failure. And so it's all these cautionary tales about how ego, building on what you were saying with the Gladwell book how ego can destroy any one of those. And if you make bad decisions, how you, your ego might force you to double down on bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. Or if you have success, how your ego might force you to, uh, destroy, you know, to just go, get destructive. But it's really, really, really an incredible book. And you know, it's, it's so easy because we all want significance and we all want to feel powerful. And ego is sort of that tempting carrot that's like come on just a little no, bit that's more that's that's the hardest thing to work on is ego especially in this business is ego death and ego destruction and i've been reading uh jordan peterson's book 12 rules for life which is amazing this guy jordan peterson such a smart writer from toronto and he's been talking about uh, just in relationships and and in life the the unspoken thing that builds up like that that quiet little thing that you sweep under the rug that's not such a big deal because we don't want to nitpick everyone all the time and go, oh, i don't like when you do that. i don't like that but the way things build, they just build up, and then it's like there's a flood, and you haven't built the ark because there's like all yeah. these problems that come out of nowhere. And it's just it's just human nature to do that to not want confrontation, to not want to upset people. But you know, ego it's it's one of those things I've really kind of toned back on Twitter and social media is that I realize that it's that's that's sort of a weird addiction to attention, and you feel that so many people speaking out on issues that it's like. You just go, who the fuck asked you, is my first reaction. <laughs> and another one is, oh, this person feels insignificant. They feel like their voice doesn't matter anymore. And I've realized that when I'm you know, working on Death Wish, when I'm working on my new film, House of the Clock and Its Walls, when I'm like very creatively in the flow and satisfied and have a project going, I have no interest. That's how I'm expressing myself. And maybe it's an interview like this or it's a podcast, we talk about it. Yeah. But the idea that you have to express your opinion Twitter is, I, I just read through all of those tweets now and those posts and Instagram stuff of fear of insignificance. Okay, this person is terrified of being insignificant. And ultimately, their voice only matters to them. It's like this, this constant carrot you're chasing that you will never have. Yeah, and the yeah. only thing that really, for me, it, like what matters is what you do and giving, it, giving everything you do meaning and giving 
whether it's a movie, whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast, whether you're cleaning your office, just putting yourself into it is way more satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because obviously there are some issues where it's like, good, people are speaking out about this. Yes. Otherwise, they didn't have a voice. But it gets blurred in. Like, I saw a story when I was at breakfast this morning kind of scrolling through stuff, and it was like, there's some story about how Jennifer Lawrence was at the BAFTAs, and Joanna Lumley introduced her as the hottest actress in the world, and she yeah. was like, hey, let's not go crazy, or something like that. Just trying to doubt, make a joke to not, not come out and go, yes, I am the hottest actress yeah. in the world. And somehow this sparked outrage. How rude. And there was a fucking whole article. There was like a bunch of articles about this. And, you know, it's like they had the requisite number of tweets of people expressing their... It was like, but you this also, is what we are occupying. Like, this is so fucking... Why are we giving this idiotic. any attention? Because it's a little less scary than anything else you can right. give attention no, to. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, think it's, I think it's exactly what it is. But I also think that in a way... Everyone's going to have to grow up out of this shit if we want to deal with the real problems. Like, we can all keep feeding, you know, the Daily Mail stories, the whatever. Like, you can – the Twitter story. Like, we can we can all feed into that. It's very easy to. It's digestible. But it really is a distraction from doing your work, from dealing with problems, and from growing up. Yeah. And, and just and this perpetual in seventh most, grade that it, everyone is sort of validated – and also, these a lot of these people, the websites feel like they're dying. They feel insignificant. They feel like they're not being heard. So they get something that people want to click on. And it's yeah. not just like, I need five minutes to escape my day. It's become like a 24-hour occupation. Outrage baiting. There's mm-hmm. a lot of outrage peddling. And none and of it's real. And, a lot, and yeah, most of it isn't. It really, some of it is and most of it isn't. And, it, and, and it's very difficult to discern between... You know what we really should be giving our time to and whatnot, but but social media is one hundred percent not one hundred. It's seventy five percent an ego pursuit. I mean, even you know, of course it is. And and as someone no. who is very active on social media, I am completely aware. Like, yeah, I'm posting another picture of myself. Well, you know, here's another thing it's, I'm doing. Yeah, you know, it is all prize. ego. It's the booby prize. You know, like when you're at a game and like you're the loser and you get the booby prize. <laughs> so you don't feel bad. That's what it is. It's not the it's not the reward. It's not the deep. I mean, when you create, I mean, look, you did a brilliant job of satirizing social media. You you were able to take the you could harness the energy of that and the humor of that and the absurdity of that and spin it into at midnight. Like you literally spun gold from this whole concept of internet nonsense. And, I, and I'm sure that doing those, like, was it 600 episodes? 600 like, episodes. So those 600 episodes, like, the deep satisfaction you get of accomplishing that, it's like, it doesn't really compare to when someone likes a photo. It's like, you created something. <laughs> you had an idea. You pitched it. You produced it. And you turned it into, like, a hell of an entertaining program with one of the greatest runs in late night television. Oh, it's thanks, like, man. I... No, but it's really, but that's, that's what it's about. And, and you also, it's, we start to realize time is our most valuable commodity. It's really all we have. And what do I want to spend my time doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Those are questions that I think are important to not ask just once, but to keep asking, keep checking in. Am I, am I really maximizing, you know, am I really getting out of what, what I want to get out of? And when people say, like, they're unsatisfied or they're not getting what they want or they're not, it's like, okay, well, you know, just for a few days, just time every activity that you do. You know, do you need to spend three hours a day on social media? Probably not. If you just spent an hour and took those other two, you know, so it really is about choosing what's important, but also making sure that, you know, another thing this book talks about is, um, 
is purpose over just you can be passionate about something, but if it's just passion and there's no greater purpose, then eventually the passion will burn out, and then what are you left with? But if you're focused on like what's your overall purpose, what are you trying to achieve, what's your goal, and then kind of you know enjoy the journey as you go along. But the social media stuff, it is a little bit of a, a morphine drip uh, between, <laughs> like it's a little bit of a tension between bigger things that you're doing. Like I, like I, w- I worked on a few shows for a few years straight and then like after a tour where it was almost every day you, I was getting attention and then, it, and then it just dropped. And then I didn't have any work lined up or anything really to do that wasn't, you know, just happening already for months. And I kind of like having social media, they're like taking a picture and making a little video on Instagram and then getting that those little bit of attention, those likes, it did kind of ease the pain. It kind of weaned me off that that bigger project uh, feeling that you have. That morphine drip you know. is a good it morphine, really but is. it is but it is morphine. It is a yeah. narcotic because yeah. if you remember ten years ago before we had this, what would you do between projects? Is you look at everything you're writing and you go, what can I? What scripts next? What projects next? What what should I be focused on? So now, if I have the urge to go Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you know, like I'll have someone, if it's for the movie, I can just have someone post into my account. I like, I, I went off it. If I have the urge to check, I go to my list of scripts I'm writing and I go, I'm not going to check Twitter. Let me force myself to think of a new idea, a new line of dialogue, a new plot twist. And I have just different projects that You're are just in channeling that energy back into your work. I just try yeah. to take the energy and go, I want to put it, I just open up my projects and naturally my brain gets distracted. And that's the trick. It's just, how, yeah. many, how yeah. many things are you writing? Like what? Cause you it, you seem like you always have something, several things, either at, you know at various stages of production or you yeah. know. So so what what is the scope of your world right now? I mean, right now, you know, we're doing Death Wish, the Death Wish release, but I'm in post on House of the Clock and Its Walls. So I'll finish the the cut of that. I show it to the studio at March 13th, and then we they start test audiences in April. Is that something you wrote? Uh, no, it was written by a guy named Eric Kripke based on it. I know Eric. Book. Yeah. Sure, you know Eric. Oh my! Kripke I've known Eric it. since college. Eric's the best. We we did a we did a couple we did a couple low budge movies together in like nineteen ninety five. Really, nineteen ninety. I've known it. Yeah, Eric created Supernatural. Yeah, no, I know he's amazing. Uh, he's such a great guy. So fucking funny. He's so funny. It's basically, it was his favorite book as a kid. This John Belair's book and Edward Gorey. Good done, for you guys. The drawing. Oh, we love it. It's a kids' movie. It's like Gremlins, Goonies, Raiders. It's like a oh, that friend. makes me so PG, happy. Amblin movie. No Jack way. Black, Kate Blanchett, Kyle MacLachlan, Renee Goldsberry. It's so fun. So I'm doing that. Then I have the history of horror for AMC. I did that. Which thank you for doing. Oh that, my god, so way. much fun. I'm so excited to have you on. It was awesome. But we've got like. So many amazing interviews for that. I'm doing a few more. I'm going to go and interview Stephen King for that. So Fantastic. It's just like it's it's really it's a really cool thing. And then I have other stuff, um, you know, company I'm putting together with another producer to produce movies. But in terms of writing, I have probably forty to fifty ideas. <laughs> some are TV, some are movies, and they're just in different stages. And I just sort of put them up on a whiteboard, and it's like a race or a chart, like different stocks. And I sometimes goes by, I try not to be too strategic about, okay, this is a good movie to follow up the blah, blah, blah. I go, what do I want? What's my, where's my brain going? Like, like it's a, in a weird way, I've trained my brain. I don't stop. There's no off switch. I don't stop writing. I can't sit down and write, but I'm always like when I'm driving, I just have, I, I have like 50 or 60 different voices in my head that are going and then the characters are saying lines of dialogue and I don't know where it's going to go, but I can put it in this and that, that. Until you just kind of harness it 
And I'll just and then I'll just lock in and focus and finish the script and go, this is what I want to do next. Yes, but okay, so you figured out how to do that, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there. You know, I think one of the biggest things that can really hamper the creative process and someone getting stuff done is essentially just their own judgment and their own mind. And uh delicious. <laughs> Sorry, I was Refreshing. trying to do that quieter. <laughs> no, that's fine. But it it's just their own sense of judgment about their own work. So they might have 40 or 50 ideas and then go, well, I don't know which one to focus on, or, I, or these are all dumb, I don't want to do these anymore. And so, you know, how did you learn or what advice can you give to people who just feel like they are overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that they want to do as to how to kind of break all that down into manageable chunks and focus? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is you have to kind of get over yourself. <laughs> And stop being like, oh, woe is me. I have so many ideas. I can't just pick one. Because that's just really an excuse for not finishing anything. And we all do it. I do it too. Where I go, oh, this is too crazy. This is too this. This is too that. It's just, it's just fear. Different. For, it's fear attacking you and self-doubt. And those are always there. That's just stuff you have to plow through and ignore and go, that it's not me. I'm going to operate on a, on a higher plane. I think focusing on one idea is great until you you're creatively exhausted but that's why i have partners on projects you know sometimes you need someone who can really gut check so like roger bernbaum was my partner on death wish great producer we had the most amazing experience and i want to work with him again so i go roger what do you think of these 10 ideas and he goes that one i get so it doesn't mean that the other nine or eight or bad ideas. It just means that the two that he responded to are very clear, easy, clean concepts that he understands that make sense. And as I'm saying them out loud, I realized, yeah, just coming up with like, I want to do a lethal weapon kind of buddy cop movie. It's not enough. I don't know what the plot is. I just know that I have these characters and I know what they're saying, but I don't have the story that's enough to be like, it's not a movie yet. Well, it's one just guy's an, too old for this shit, and the other one yeah, yeah. was crazy. really he's crazy. crazy. He's like an actual he lethal weapon. He's like a lethal weapon. Literally. He can, he can yeah. shoot someone from a thousand yards. It's actually more yeah. 48 hours. It's actually 48 hours of Freebie and the Bean. Like, I want to make a movie like Freebie and the Bean. <laughs> Speaking of Jeff Goldblum, wasn't was, he in Freebie and the Bean? Was Goldblum in Freebie? No, it was, I don't remember. it was James Caan and Alan Arkin. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Wait, could you look? Richard Rush. Oh, I'm sorry. I think Jeff Goldblum was in 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. Is that yes, correct? Yes, he was. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, I think. I, I, it sounds it. right. It sounds right. But freebie, they've been something like, so, and then I say, oh, I have this other idea. And I'll tell him, and he'll be like, I want to see that right now. I can see the scene. Without even saying it. So without even saying it, he knows, like, okay. And I was like, all right, that's a good idea. Like some, and some are older, and some are new, and some are ideas you've been, you know, they're like kind of an old girlfriend that you dated a while ago <laughs> that you're like, oh, that was nice at the time. But now, and they're always like, oh man, I screwed that up. I shouldn't have brought up there. Like, <laughs> let's see if we can rekindle this. Like, you really think about the ideas as past, as past relationships, but you have to have, I mean, the, the iPhone is great because I keep them in notes. I have a different notes file for every project yeah. because really your best ideas are when you're parking at Whole Foods and someone cuts mm -hmm. you off and you then have a thousand ways to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, like, really? <laughs> well, and the dialogue that then follows is when I'm, like, when I'm driving, when I'm so it's, it's So it's about paying attention but also realizing that sometimes it, it's, it's good to keep checking in with your ideas because sometimes you're not at a place where you're ready to deal with it. And maybe a few years have to go by for you to have enough experience or wisdom or whatever it is 
to then go, oh, now I have the context to make this thing work. I didn't when I was younger. I'm very lucky that I'm in the position where I can gut check my ideas with people that are professionals in the industry that will tell me the truth. And that's Tarantino, a few other people, you know, Roger. Like, they're, they're people that I can just sit and go, okay, what do you think of this? Like, with Hostel. And Quentin's like, that's the scariest idea I've heard in 10 years. You got to finish that. You got to write that idea. And I was like, okay, if this is scaring Tarantino, I'm on to something. And I think what a lot of people do is they'll have their friend who's a great writer, and then the, they're sort of, you have people that don't really know what they're talking about validating each other. And it's hard. I mean, like, because the truth is, anyone can write a screenplay out of nowhere, but the best thing you want to do is find, get yourself to New York or Los Angeles, work with a producer, work with a writer, work, work with someone who is working in the industry to the point where you trust them, they trust you, and you can gut check them and say, hey, I have an idea for a screenplay. Would you be willing to read it? Or can I tell you an idea and you can tell me what you think? And then you're at least getting someone's opinion that is, is valid. I mean, there's also, you, you can't wait for someone else to validate your idea before you make it. You have to have that inner feeling of like, okay, everybody's wrong. I Like with Cabin Fever, I was like, everybody's crazy. I am right. <laughs> Six years, everyone read it. They're like, this is the worst movie ever. <laughs> the worst piece of shit. I was like, you're all fucking wrong. And then when they wanted to, they're like, do we want to remake Cabin Fever? I was like, why? And they're like, we want to use your script. I was like, do it. Because I want to be able to tell those fuckers who told me my script sucked. <laughs> it was so good they made it twice. And as a weird experiment, I want to see what it looks like with another person directing my movie from the same script. So in my brain, it was just some, it was like this weird experiment. But th- that's a thing where you're, you just have to be like, nope, I want to do it. I mean, no one, there's no one going, oh, yeah, we need another cannibal movie. But I, I really, I was like, we are making Green Inferno because I saw something going on with student activism and people jumping on bandwagons and hashtagging everything. I started seeing it with Occupy Wall Street when uh, there was like a cousin who's like, it's like, we well, didn't want to work. It's way easier to occupy. Right. Because then you're not, you can't be accused of not getting a job because you're occupying. Right. But really, he didn't want to get a job. Right. And then he really, he wanted to meet girls. And they were like getting their lattes and getting their iPhones and sit around and just like occupy. I was right. like, well, that looks like fun. I yeah. guess if I was 22, it'd be great to rail against the system all day because then you don't have to deal with life. And I'm not saying that that was the occupy movement. Believe me, do not misunderstand that. But I saw that behavior. But a, you know, a yeah. percentage of people that. And I saw, slacktivism. I just saw the slacktivism. I saw people jumping on hashtags to make themselves look good and really you saw it with Coney 2012 when everyone's like how could you not have posted that yeah. video it's like what are you talking about and people in the Ugandan government's like yeah, we're aware of Joseph Coney we've been after him for years guys like retweeting a video and then that guy has a you know terrible mental breakdown and yeah. he's like naked on the streets oh, in yeah, San Diego yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah. like oh that was the guy we were retweeting I mean one has nothing to do with the other but it just went to show it's like a perfect example of how everybody dropped him as soon as the guy had a mental breakdown so it's just a whole thing of getting involved in causes to look good rather than really, or ma- and make yourself feel good out of some sort of guilt. Without going yeah. deep and actually and doing actually anything. doing the research and doing the investigation and understanding what it is, mm-hmm. they don't want to change. They just want to look. They just want to look good. They want to make themselves feel better. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people are just like jumping on a cause because they're like, "See, I'm a good person." Because then they don't feel bad about the right. privilege they have in their life. It's yeah. a human thing. And again, not everyone, but a percentage of people. And and you know you. It's like, uh... but the other thing is that with, when you make these movies, especially being living in Hollywood, is you can't be the one ever, and you, nor should you, telling people what to think and what to do. All all I like to do is present a situation that's somewhat complex. You know, that's why really, you know, with, with Death Wish, it's not it's not taking a position pro one way or the other. It's just like laying it out there and letting the audience decide. And I think that those movies where you come out of it and you're really thinking about it, you're really discussing it, like. 
the way I came out of Get Out, it suddenly gave everyone a framework to talk about race. Like, nobody could talk about race without wanting to kill each other. He said, let's talk about race. So you're racist. But Get Out, suddenly it's like, God, when the parents said, like, you said the Obama thing. No, I didn't. I never, yeah. yeah like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, and, and that's what you hope with movies in a best case scenario, like with Death Wish, where it's a difficult subject. Um, you know, crime in America is something in guns. All this stuff is difficult stuff to talk about, but the movies dramatize it and give you a way to kind of live what a character might do without any real life consequences, but also come out discussing it. So I think, you know, for writers, whatever idea they have, it's got to be something that it's from, it's, it's got to be a twist on something we know that's never been seen before. That seems to But I also think, yeah. but I also think, you know, Stuff you make is stuff that you want to talk about. It's stuff for that's sure. important to you. So I think it's important to not, you know, for creators to not chase things that they think other people want to talk about. Like, what do you want to talk about? Because once it has a real, once it has your own point of view, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I think that's what's so wonderful about what's happening in the Marvel Universe right now is that all of these films have the real director's point of view and it's real stories that they want to tell while still being able to maintain an integrity with the universe that they're woven into. And and I think that's why they're interesting. And they don't just all look like they were shot on an Instagram filter. And it's like, you know, Black Panther had Ryan's point of view. Guardians had James's point of view. Iron Thor. Man 3 uh, had Shane Black's point of view. Thor was Taika. Thor was Taika. Taika. Point, yeah. So, and so it, like, that's, I think that is the, the real artistry of the, of being able to have a point of view and care about something and present your ideas. Well, that's where you have... That's the strength of Kevin Feige and my editor, Fred Raskin, Cut Guardians. Oh, I know Fred. Yeah, Fred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred's really a, Fred's sweet guy. Like Fred. Yeah, Fred's the best. So Fred, Cut Guardians, he's Quentin's editor. He's, he's the best. And, he, you know, Kevin Feige's in on every meeting. Like, like, when you get notes, you're not going through a team of people. It's Kevin Feige. He's the voice. He's the, the one overseeing who built that label to what it is. And he's the guy that can really understand the balance of letting the filmmakers have their voice and make, making sure that their voice is there, but also making sure it's a Marvel movie in the best possible way. And he's not afraid to change up the record and evolve the brand. And I think that that's what you're seeing now when you see Black Panther and it's just like, and Thor, the way it didn't feel in Gardens. They, they don't feel like other, they are Marvel movies now, but in retrospect, but they didn't, at the, as you're watching them going, whoa, this doesn't feel like a Marvel I mean, movie. how often does the third in a series ostensibly become like the, the best. best movie in the series where it's like yeah. you know they they all they all matured they didn't there wasn't diminishing returns no they and, weren't just saying well that gag well most studios go okay this gag worked let's milk it the hell death out wish, of yeah, death wish it. 3 death wish yeah with death wish 3 oh people like hard. seeing him just shoot, shoot the shit people. out of people let's we, give him bigger guns and yeah. you know throw in a Nazi biker gang yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but th- that's what's great about it is that they're you know, they're not doing that in the third one. They're really letting... And look, I had um, Ludwig Gorenson, who did the music in Death Wish, is the same composer who did uh, Black Panther. He does all of Ryan Coogler's movies. It's mm-hmm. really, really fantastic. So I loved it, just listening to, listening to the score. But, you know, you see those people are really... Like, what Marvel's doing is really incredible. And that's why people trust the brand. Would you want to make, like, a $250 million movie? Or is it just too much responsibility? Do you kind of like the lane that you're in because you have the right balance and you have the right freedom and the right, just you know, enough money to do what you want? Honestly, I've been offered those movies before and they come with their own set of problems and you have to love the subject matter and kind of have the weight to 
you know, know how to navigate it and have the way to get what you want. But absolutely. I think for sure now I would. I mean, I think earlier, like right after Hostel, I was offered this big movies and I just didn't want to deal with it. I was like, I'm going to do my own thing. Why would I, why would I work this hard to get my own voice to not use it? Um, but then after a while of making movies where you're literally scraping together all of your resources and doing, you know, begging and borrowing everything to, to keep your budgets low. It's like, no, I, I actually enjoy making a movie with resources. And when I see death wish and certainly the new one with the house of the clock and its wallets, I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I can do. These are the stories I, I like. If you want to be, Terry Gilliam, Tim Burton, if you want to make Chris Columbus, if you want to make those kinds of movies, which I do, then you're going to need more money to do it. So I think for me, it all depends on project to project. But, you know, if, if it's got to be, I'd have to want to make that movie so bad, you just love the world and you're living it and breathing it. Right. Uh, any good that you can t- tell any good Bruce Willis stories that you could tell? I mean, there are many, there are many, many, many Bruce Willis stories. God, let me think of a great Willis. I mean, look, Bruce. The the first scene we had to do with him shooting the carjacking, where he's like he's wandering out. He's got a gun. He's been studying YouTube, and of course, the fun is every single time he he does a you know he rescues. So he he learns something, but he's completely bad. He's terrible. He's a terrible vigilante at first. Um, when he shot the first carjacking, I remember the first take, he came out and he was just like, and he looked so cool doing it. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. I was like, uh, Bruce, we got to do it again. Except he's like, why? I nailed it. I was like, I know, but like, we forgot, like, we all got so caught up in Bruce Willis shooting somebody that we actually forgot that this is about a guy who's never shot a gun before and it catches his hand and he's freaked out and free. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. So it was like a, several takes. I was like, wow. Bruce. You're still too cool. Well, do many, it like a yeah, dorky a second, dad. Yeah, dorky dad. And he so did. Long. He got it. He actually really got there. But it was just funny, funny shooting those scenes That's with There him, just right? aren't that many people left who, I mean, he's such a, he's such a collectible item in the yeah, sense that it's I like, know. you know, his career started in the, like, he's been through a couple iterations. How many decades? How many yeah. decades? It's like literally like him, Keanu, Tom Cruise, there are very few actors that were famous in the 80s that are still famous today. Yeah. And still able to do the same kinds of movies that they, well, Keanu became an action star, but yeah, uh, but yeah, but Tom, Tom Cruise and, and him, I mean, that's, that's got to be a difficult, it's got to be a difficult role to maintain you know decade after decade yeah i mean the the thing he'd said that he wanted to do he's like i do not want to be john mcclane and like the first day you know we're shooting a scene where he's at a soccer game and there's like a belligerent dad who's like screaming in his kid like what the fuck and all the parents like whoa whoa take it easy so bruce who's a doctor has to be like you know dude buddy take it and the guy shoves him and he's just like, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. And like all the kids playing are like, what the? And I remember the first take. It was like one of the first days of shooting. And, you know, we discussed and the actor was there. He's like, he's like, okay, if I And he freaking shoved him. And Bruce was like, it was, it was like, there was a weird whoa moment <laughs> that we were like, is Bruce going to deck the guy? And Bruce couldn't have been sweeter about it. But it was an adjustment for him to play the emasculated dad but he's got to be like re- it's like it bottle it up yeah. don't worry i'm not gonna this isn't worth it i'm not gonna set an example for my children he's he's played vulnerable really well before really like, well with the six sense, sense and unbreakable even, who was like a super strong guy but very no we very talked broken. about that we really wanted to get back to unbreakable six sense who becomes die hard and fifth element he's great stories from all those days and moonlighting and yeah, when he was shooting die hard i was like you know 
it was third movie or something. It's crazy how young that guy was and what that movie was. Oh, yeah, because I remember, like, right around the time he did Die he was doing, like... Um, Blind Date or something. He did Blind, Blind Date, Date, which is... This I remember it being a really fun Blind movie. Blind Date, yeah. too. Kim Basinger yeah. and John Larroquette. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was a really fun movie, but... And I think it did well, but to jump from... Te- that was not that common in the 80s to jump from television to becoming a massive... That was a huge deal. Yeah. The only, and I remember... because Eddie Murphy was, might have been... There was like only a handful of people who were able to do the, it. The people that like truly started on TV... Like George Clooney was the other one from ER. But even that was the 90s. When George Clooney went from being Dr. Ross to Dust Till Dawn, it was like 95 or 96. Yeah. Right. And 97, The Peacemaker, it's like, whoa, isn't he a TV star? That was the myth, was that if you were a TV star, people got you for free, so they wouldn't want to pay for the movies. And they tried. There was a period where like every single one of the friends, they're like, the pallbearer is out. Right, like, yeah, Paul Bear. Every Ed, single Ed, one yeah. of them, Ed, like all of them. Yeah, but the chip plays baseball, do you understand? Plays, yes. Yeah, yeah. But like one of those movies, uh, um, the... Um, What's the movie with the uh, um, shit? I just completely Romy and Michelle's. Up. Yeah, Romy and Michelle's. Kudrow, everybody, yeah. and really, they're like still Jennifer Aniston was the only one that broke out, and people still call her Rachel. But but yeah. Kudrow, but Lisa Kudrow picked a bunch of really cool movies. Like she didn't pick the. I want to be a megastar role. Yeah. She picked a lot of really cool. Aniston did too. Aniston no, did Aniston like he, did. she dove into like indies. She has like a ton of. Indies no, Aniston has an amazing career, but yeah. it's really it's one of those things where you're so. It was hard, but yeah, but Bruce Willis going from, I mean, everyone, but he was also like the first bald guy that girls liked. I remember like my friend's dad's being like, oh, the guy with the thinning hair, you like Bruce Willis? <laughs> like, and then he shaved his head and fits. People just, people love him and his music. Like, he's a very soulful guy. The Return plays, of Bruno. The Return have, of have Bruno. Yeah. Oh, what was the, uh, the Shyamalan movie with, um, that, uh, the one that just came out? Split. Split. Uh, the ending. It's the best. I it's mean, a cameo. It's so good. Is that is that universe expanding? Do you have any thought, any ideas about that universe expanding? Well, if you look at the three movies, yeah, together it'll be unbreakable split glass. Yes, but oh, how about that? Savage. One, two, three. Are they, are they making glass? They shot it already. Oh, I didn't know that. They yeah. just shot it. He went. He literally shot it. That's why the, the we were going to release the movie in Thanksgiving, but I was shooting and Bruce was shooting, so we pushed it to March because neither of us were available. That's so so we were shooting glass. Very happy to hear M. that. And that's cutting it right now. Unbreakable splits glass. Oh, how that's cool fantastic. That? <laughs> right? That makes me happy. That's how now. good that guy is. That we didn't makes... even see that. Yeah, even... yeah. <laughs> that's game. how good he is. Yeah. You didn't even, we didn't even see even that. Even if people coming. were like, well, the movie was okay, but the titles. <laughs> yeah, the split was so good. I'm, I'm amazed that James McAvoy is not in the Oscar conversation or Anya Taylor Joy. Like, James, James, James McAvoy. He's only in the right role. Yeah. He just needs to land the right role. I mean, like, he just needs to... But, like, how could he not be nominated for Split? Like, because... Was there better acting by anyone than James McAvoy in Split? Because it's so rare that, like, horror, which, you know, thriller horror type, which I guess it would be in that category. I mean, Get Out is... A, is Get Out is extraordinary and, and pioneering for a lot of reasons, but I think also, you know, another reason being that... A thriller horror movie could be nominated for because I, I think they just Silence of the Lambs, The Exorcist. Those are the last ones. Yep. It's very hard. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and if and, Six and, cents, yeah. and some of them, if some of them, if they're marketed, if, if it seems like oh, that's kind of a horror movie, then immediately you yeah, know, like they get yeah. they get snobby about it. But yep. it's still re- you know, if you're a horror fan, you know that one out of like ten or fifteen horror movies you watch is going to be good. Uh, and it's really hard to make an- it's really hard to make a great one that hasn't been done it's such a clean concept that's so well executed right to the end I mean when was the last time I saw a movie like that 
Autopsy Jane Doe. That was that movie was great too. Raw. Did you see Raw? Raw, 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 Raw was Love great. Raw. What was the one that I recommended to you? The Spanish movie about the, uh, the corpse of Anna Fritz. The corpse of Anna Fritz is a oh, I need great. To see it. Oh, that's great. Okay. Really, really fucked creepy. up. All right, I'm gonna watch really, it really fucked watch up. Watch the ritual last night. Watch the ritual too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The ritual did a pretty good job. I mean, I I thought it. Was, I loved the creature. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it was great. Yeah. Wait, the ritual, the 1983. No, 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 Netflix. no, no, no. New, a, it's new, brand it's new, British movie. So the guy, he did uh, some other stuff. He's oh like, no, the initiation. That's what it was. I just watched it on Blu-ray. It's a weird. This this horror movie starring Daphne Zuniga, um, where it's initiation. It's like a classic sorority. Oh yeah, 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 film yeah. From 1984. I noticed that the ending credits is the love theme from Cinema Paradiso, but Marconi <laughs> did not score this movie. But it's, I was just like. I was watching the movie. I was like, why do I know this song? I was like, oh my God, this is the same music from Cinema Paradiso. I feel like Morricone must have seen the initiation because the music's identical. Or maybe he did the initiation under a pseudonym. Under a different name. I don't know. It was two guys that did it. That's Hmm. possible, though. Initiation. With the two names, nobody will know. Nobody will know. It's me. (laughs) Nobody will know. It's Morricone. By the way, those guys used to rip themselves off all the time. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Star Crash. Yes, from that, was first, that was in the season of uh, Mr. John, Science Theater. It, okay, Star Crash yeah. starring Celeste. It was a Star Wars ripoff directed by Luigi Cozzi, mm-hmm. who was Argento's first AD. He did some terrific horror films, one called The Killer Must Kill Again, a few other movies. Luigi Cozzi made a movie where there was like a trio of movies starring Joe Spinell and Caroline Monroe from uh-huh. The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Um, the last horror movie was the other one, and Maniac were the three, and oh, Star yeah. Crash. So Joe Spinell and David Hasselhoff's in it's it. his first movie. David Hasselhoff's first movie. The score is by John Barry, who did the James Bond movie, yep. who five years later won the Oscar for Best Soundtrack for Out of Africa for the same score of Star Crash. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, yeah. Well, and he there's was robbed there, by the Academy for yeah. Star Crash. Robbed by the Academy. He's like, I'll show no, you. I'm going to show you. You take the same music on Star Crash <laughs> and put it on Out of Africa. Yeah. Redford, and they give you the little gold statue. Yeah. Marjo Gortner is in that movie. It's you true. Know? Marjo Gortner is in that movie. Yeah. Good documentary about him. Great. Yeah. You know well, Marjo Gortner? Ex- Last no. Exorcism was very inspired by oh, Marjo. Oh, I love Mar- that movie. Because Marjo was like the kid. Yeah. The documentary, Marjo was like the kid. Preacher, who yeah, went out there and like preached. He was like a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, was, like, eight, he had the Bible memorized, and his name is Marjo because of Mary and Joseph. Yeah, oh. and so yeah. they put in, they did a documentary, and he would just scam people for money, and then stopped and became an actor. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and starting Star Crash and Star Crash and Christopher Plummer shows up in Star Christopher Crash. Christopher Plummer is, I know, and if yeah. we find out some stories of anyone in the Star Crash that they might just. Read digitally. Add Christopher Plummer over everybody in this. Movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's it's... the new trend. <laughs> but uh, he, I like, I looked up an interview where it's like I was. We we got sent Star Crash. I never, I only heard of it by name. So we started watching it to write riffs, and then I was like, "What is he doing in this movie?" And I looked up an interview, and some guys like, "I have to ask you about the movie Star Crash." And he rolls his eyes and says, uh, uh, "A lot of British actors have this thing where they say uh, I'll even do porn if it sends me to Italy for free." And oh, that's, that's why, really funny. That's why he yeah. went there. That's that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he probably just figured, like, oh, who's going to see this? Yeah, exactly. Cut to. Cut to. Cut to. Home video. Yeah. Everyone if, sees everything. What if his performance in All the Money in the World is identical to his performance in Star Crash? And he <laughs> wins for All the Money in the World. It'd be the second movie where something from Star Crash has been recycled. <laughs> what if Star Crash was ultimately, like, just this nexus point 
of all these, all these things. things. Like, yeah. you, if you really track everything back, you're it like, oh my god, it all Star goes. Trash. You're just it's like, Star you're just, just, you would, you would love Star Cut to Eli's bedroom. It is, and it's just all these. It is the two hundred thousand dollars Italian Star Wars ripoff. Yeah, it's like they saw they a lobby the dark... card of Star Wars and then made a movie off of that. It's impressive. But we were talking about the Asylum films before you got here because I know yeah. those Asylum guys and they're really great. And they just sort of, you know, for the international film market, they just make a like Transmorphers. And you yeah. get like a robot car, you know, like a robot car on a box, and then internationally people are like, "Oh, I guess this is a yeah." And that was the, the, the Charlie Globus. It's a me, Morricone. Yeah. <laughs> I like a robot. Have you, ever, have you ever seen Alien Two on Earth? No, Alien Two on Earth is amazing. It's an incredible film. Uh, the, the the soundtrack is one of the best things about it. That's like for like super nerds on it. Uh, the Maurizio Guido D'Angelis did a lot of Italian Jalla films did a really spectacular score basically Alien comes out and is a huge hit in Italy so some guys are like let's just make Alien 2 without <laughs> any connection we'll just call it <laughs> Alien 2 colon on Earth mm-hmm. sulla terra so Alien 2 directed by Ciro Apolito I believe his director's name it's they take NASA footage and they're like the cabin's coming closer to Earth, but it's the grainiest, <laughs> shittiest NASA footage. And then it's like a guy in a Jeep Wagoneer in 1980 shot in the car because obviously they didn't have permits. So you, so you're like handheld filming out of a car driving around. And these friends, they, it's like kind of like the Descent. They they're like let's go caving, but you see this thing like Shit. crash, and a girl on the beach sees a thing that looks like a pizza with a little bladder pump in it. it jumps <laughs> jumps on the girl's face, and then they go. And there are these, like, aliens that are popping out of eggs that are in this cave. And then the girl comes out and, like, the whole world has been taken We need to be taking aliens. show notes for this. So, Katie, because yeah. we, we got to let it's people know. YouTube. Look up. Star Crash, got... Alien 2, Life on Earth. Oh, it's just, they no, could watch not on Earth. Earth. Just, on Earth. On Earth. But, and, and by the way, they were sued in a heartbeat by Fox. And the movie was pulled from theaters. Mm. But it's on YouTube. Shockingly, it's on YouTube. Nice try. If people want to see Star Crash with expert comedic commentary, go to Netflix. <laughs> but that's, oh, not a, that's not a... What? It's on Netflix with your... Uh, we did, yeah, we did it in last season of Mystery Science Theater. I love it. So you should yeah. watch it both ways. We can watch it both ways. You know, I'm going to watch the Mystery Science Theater version. Thank you. Because I just I want to watch it. By the way, I love that Mystery Science Theater was what sort of busted the island on Clonus, the clone, the clone horror. Yeah. The Clonus. I, I recently watched that movie. I'd never seen it before. It was fantastic. What a great little low-budget thriller that was completely remade as the island without giving it credit yeah I, you know it's so weird when people bring up scream they never bring up evil laugh which is uh like almost uh like that has so many of the similar elements of scream where there's even down to a guy it's like a bunch of kids and there's even a guy that's obsessed with like fangoria magazine <sighs> really and evil like laugh. uh like just he's, he's like and this is how it happens in a horror movie it's uh, there's a lot of similar beats in evil laugh it's interesting i haven't no. seen evil laugh i gotta find it yeah well there's an evil laugh in star crash <laughs> which all <laughs> it all comes back are you do, are you doing shark after dark this year again no they're not doing it what oh. they're not shark after darking it's done that was that fun sucks. that was great i love shark after dark it was so fun having you on i mean going diving with sharks is the greatest thrill of my life well you got to sense. do it I want to go back again. I'm going to dive more. I'm like addicted to it. I think the sharks are the most incredible misunderstood. When's the Eli Roth shark movie? I would love to do a shark movie. I was (laughs) going to do a shark movie and then was um, unceremoniously removed, shall we say, from it. But uh, I got two other movies instead, so it all worked out. But yeah, no, I'd love to do a shark movie. But I would want the shark to be the good guy. That's part of the problem. Not like Incredible Mr. Limpet, where it helps people stop the war. <laughs> Although I do have a Mr. Limpet idea. I really yeah. want to. I have like I have this this terrible movie idea disease itis that like, and sometimes people are like, "What's your next movie?" And I'll like tell them with a very straight face. I really want to make like a total rip off of the Incredible Mr. Limpet movie called Fish Out of Walter. 
guy named Walter. It's like, I have two movies that I really want to do. I want to do Fish Out of Walter, where Walter's like, one day he falls in the ocean, like, he becomes a fish. And they're like, where's Walter? But he, of course, stops, you know, he saves the world. If you want it to be really bad, you have to, his name has to be Walter Fish. Oh, yeah, Walter Fish would be great. Yeah, Walter Fish with P-H-I-S-C-A. Yeah, 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 exactly. Fish, get in here. This report's like, no, I hate the land. Sorry, Mr. Winkleberry. I'll get it back, yeah. He's like, Walter? And he's throwing it. Let's throw him in the tank. No, I can't swim. Magic Fish out of Walter. And then he it's like another one I want to do is like about a nun that gets like struck by lightning and becomes a super genius and call it None the Wiser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like desperate, Fuck. desperate to do None the Wiser. I just have like these ideas for, for terrible movies that I really, I told you I want to do NASCAR dog. They're like, Mrr, who's driving the car? And like the dog, the dog is driving with its head out the window. Listen, 200 uh, miles an hour. Okay. God. Even if... You have. If you, I do fake trailers, I yes, yeah, that's no, what you need have to do. To. That was. You, the, yeah. I have a bunch. Let me see what other ideas I have. I have some like like legitimately. I have ideas that are so shamefully bad that I'm so. Te- I just get so tempted to tell people. That's exactly like. Can I? Yeah. Can I pitch I a show? Wanna, can I pitch a show for you? Please. And this is a show that I want to be on with you. Mm-hmm. It's just. You and I talking about these really great movies that we're excited are coming. It's like a coming attractions, but it's just just all of these fake trailers. But then we talk very seriously about like, you know. No, I really wanted like the movie I just directed with Tim Allen, where he, to prove himself as a responsible boss. Oh, sure. To prove himself as a responsible dad, Mm -hmm. he gets a Girl Scout troop. Of course. And it's called Smart Cookies. <laughs> but he teaches them very practical things, like how to argue down your credit card charges, and how to smoke, and how to drink, and how to like scam people. Like He's really just like how to drive. It's just smart Cookies. Smart Cookies. But then they get a bear. And the girls mm-hmm. find a bear, and the bear's in his apartment. And then they have like, and then he has a maid that teaches him how to dance, and there's just like a whole bunch of things that happen. I mean, it's already, it's already Smart mostly cookies. done. And the whole trailer's kind of do, I said shotgun! <laughs> bam, bam. And it's like Tim, Tim Allen with a bear, and the kid's driving the car, and the raft, and like, whoa! And then going over the waterfall, and then they, you know, parachutes. Mm-hmm. I'm still looking for funding for my show, Anim Animal Man. Which is a guy is driving down a haunted road, uh, and then he accidentally hits a gypsy woman crossing the street, who before dying curses him. But at the same time, the haunted urn that's in his back seat falls over while he's locking eyes with a goat, while a, a, a comet goes over uh, the sky. And so now he becomes a, a guy that can turn into another guy that can turn into animals that can turn into other animals. It's Anim Animal Man. Oh, that's fantastic! That's a yeah. great idea. And it's uh, it's like the the process, which is very painful for him to turn. Uh, it, it takes like uh, about like a half an hour. The whole process of turning very uh, slow. It's like, it's, it's, so you gotta like if you want to go out at midnight, you gotta start like eleven fifteen. You gotta start winding down. We know, yeah. you know, you know, change eleven twenty five. You gotta soundproof. You gotta like by eleven thirty, you're transforming. Yeah, it's like wow. if someone needs my help. I don't want to help them because this is so painful. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about this. Uh, so there's, it, I'm excited about this movie about a bar where people show up and then uh, they get uh, they get drugged and basically uh, part of their limbs get amputated and then served to a food truck, a hipster food truck that runs around the back. Um, it's called Club Foot. Uh, yeah, if you guys are, I mean, if you if you want to yeah. see a good movie, that's a good movie. You guys should see. I'm, I'm good. 
Okay, all right. <laughs> That's a great idea. After yeah. Animal, Animal Man, Animal, you're Animal good. Man, Animal Man, Animal Man is the only movie that will ever be made. But you have to say it really fast. Like Animal, 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 Animal Man. Animal Man. We can have Fish out of Walter have a crossover with Animal, <laughs> Animal Man. They team up on land and sea. Oh yeah, you're building out the universe. Yeah, yeah you gotta, be, you gotta <laughs> you know, build out the Animanimaverse or what, <laughs> the Walterverse or whatever verse we want to call it. They, the whole universe they collide and then they have to you know win the NASCAR with the help of. There's no reason you couldn't do it. You know, like they, you know. Like the the Warrens, the like the whole universe of building out the Annabelle, like that that that's whole true. universe. Oh, like, yeah, that's Every, that. Everything's a universe now. Yeah, but I but what, what's great about that is that they didn't ahead of time go, we're gonna make a universe. They just sort of you know organically. Hey, people like these movies. Yeah. Let's connect them what all if together. They showed up right. here too. I mean, why not? Yeah, they have a Bring, whole. The Warrens have a whole closet full of cursed items. They have yeah, a yeah. lot. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole universe. And they're very smart to get the Warren files. So maybe this is just, you know, this, this is just like your, this is your, it's your coming attractions. And uh, this is your screening room. And we just uh, shoot all these trailers. I would love to do it. I've, I was going to do a movie called Trailer Trash. The nice. whole thing. It was like all these just terrible, terrible movies. I still want to make them though. That's a problem is like, you know, that'd be like the joke is that we're, <laughs> my, my friend Noah and I'd be in a meeting. And we'd be pitching something. The pitch, we'd be bombing. It's obvious they're not interested. We're like, we have this other idea. And he's like, don't, don't do it. <laughs> we would just be like, <laughs> like, Jack Hatcher was having a bad day. And his name is Hatcher, so everyone calls him Hatch. Hey, Hatch, get some responsibility. And it's just, you know, he gets the Girl Scout troop. That's you know, terrible. This would be a, the worst movie ever. Netflix would yeah. never do it, but it'd be really fun. It's like when you hover over a, uh, a, a title on Netflix and it plays the trailer and the thing. Yeah. yeah. It'd be fun if we could just like fuck with people and just make trailers for movies that don't. And then exist. you go when it goes to play, you're just like, suck it. It's just like, us. Why going, would fuck you watch you. this? <laughs> yeah, and then people are like, oh, I got trailer trashed. That's that's a great thing to do. It's really to earn the trust of the viewers. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix stock will skyrocket. Well, the trailer is tricking people into thinking it's an actual movie. Yeah, I, mean, I remember loving the trailers in a uh, uh, grindhouse. All the like trailers, like, Thanksgiving, in, Thanksgiving, exactly. That was so that much literal, fun. Like they were great, and like I wanted to see. I just wanted the whole movie to be that. I do. I had another one I was going to do called the Dummy. The Dummy. You can run. You can hide. But you'll never outsmart. The dummy. <laughs> and literally, it's just like That's a first, 70s voiceover. Yeah, the 70s voiceover. It's just like yeah. someone's driving, and it's just like the dummy. They're like, the dummy! And then the car crashes. Or they're like in the shower, and every time they see it, they yell, the dummy! Yeah. And it's just like, it starts with a gift showing up, like, huh, who sent you? It's like, get the, put that thing away. It's like, what are you talking? It's a dummy. It can't It can't hear you. No, it's listening to us right now. It's, and he starts hitting it. It's like, don't hit it, don't hit it. It's like, it's a dummy, you stupid dummy. And then, the dummy! The and just like, but you never actually see what the dummy is doing. The dummy doesn't it's do anything. Just, Someone would be yeah. in the shower and they open the curtain, the dummies in, they go, the dummy! And then they fall out the window and they like are naked and they land on the, ele- the electrical wires, yeah. the telephone wires. Yeah, the dummy, yeah, it's, it's just an accident. Dummy doesn't that do anything. Right after, it's just yeah. like you're driving. It's like Paul Giamatti's driving. He looks in the rear, rear view and the dummy's there and he goes, the dummy! And then the car just blows up. It's just the dummy. I hope all these ideas are on your big whiteboard. They are. The dummy is. I want to yeah. shoot, I, I at least want to get to the point where no matter what movie I do, I always want to shoot a fake trailer. The way Pixar has a short, like, I want to do a fake trailer. Yeah. For a movie, just to have the dummy, just to have those scenes shot, because it can't only play in my head. No, you need yeah. to make these things. You need you, you need hide. a vessel to start. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a coming attraction show in here somewhere. Yeah. If you there is, because I'm sure you have tons of time to go off and shoot trailers. By the way, here's the problem: whether I have time or not, they run through my head. 
So you might it's not like I might out. as well get it out. It's like once it's once you've exercised it, you can kind of let it go and put it behind you. But until then, it always haunts you. Yeah. Uh, God, what else could we do? Got to make something. We'll create something. Yeah. Something will come of this. I'll take it. <laughs> Which is so flippant. Yeah, they'll wow. take it. Take but it. you guys, come on. Come on. Take it. Come on. Why not? They love it. And then you can make fun of it. No, nah, I already do that on some. I already do that on Netflix. I don't need to be. What's Netflix? It's a monolith of entertainment. <laughs> it really is a monolith now. They no, really absorb. The hub. Have you seen their building on Sunset? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like fancy Netflix, as shit. It's like Netflix University. Yeah, yeah, it's super fucking fancy. It's crazy. So the uh, uh, Death Wish comes out March... March 2nd. 2nd in so theaters. 10 days, I know. Yeah. I'm excited. And this, so when is this going up, Katie? This is going up Monday. Okay, so this goes up. So you can buy your tickets now. Pre-order your tickets. Pre-order them. For Death Wish. Go see it in a movie theater. Is it's, it a, it's really fun. And it's for sure that communal movie theater screaming, cheering. People, we've had amazing, amazing, very, very visceral reactions. People are going fucking nuts nice. in the screenings we've had. So it's good. It's, it's vintage Bruce. I'm telling you, he brought it. He brought his A game. And it's like that diehard. I really, really worked hard. And we worked. He busted his ass. He was amazing. It's like it's, we really got the diehard, you know, that vintage Bruce Willis. It's fantastic. Great. I mean, ultimately, he becomes that, but he doesn't start that. No, he doesn't start that. I want, he starts as the unbreakable. You know, he's like a he's a dad though. I mean, he's the guy with five daughters. So a guy relating to his daughter being in a coma. It was really he brings that vulnerability, that everyman sensibility, and you know, you just want him getting justice and getting revenge. He's amazing. We we wanted this to be his taken, his next franchise. Well, congratulations on always making things the way you want to make things Thanks, and being man. able to build a career. And you too. Like, what an incredible career you've had. Yeah, so it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> but be, be proud of it. Take the Ah, stop it. I want to be like Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> oh, let's not get carried away. It's a funny joke. Like, she's just yeah, being funny. Why do they give her shit? Yeah. Why do they give everyone shit about everything? Everything's offensive to everyone. Everything is offensive. Every bit of comedy is offensive to someone somewhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. And that's every important. bit. It's important that you don't make something that nothing appeals to everybody. No. Yeah. You're going to offend someone. That's just how it goes. Well, it I, think, I, think, I think we're sort of conditioned now because of, because of algorithms to be like, everything has to be exactly for me. And like, no, it doesn't. You could just not watch stuff you don't like. Yep. What? No, What? I oh, wow, really disappointed. Yeah. I love the wow, really disappointed. Wow, wow, really disappointed. <laughs> really thought you were okay. Wow. SMDH, SMDH, yeah, SMDH. SMDH, hashtag SMDH. But as we uh, as we pull away from the docking station and release people back into their lives, um, I think I'm going to end this podcast by saying, "Keep your eye on the donut, not the hole." Eye on the donut. Not the whole. <laughs> and buy David Lynch coffee. Exactly. <laughs> Just look at my hair. <laughs> coffee is grown in my thick, lustrous hair. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. 
that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th.